Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, this time each and every Friday. It's Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We call this the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. That was on your end, right? <laughs> I just, yeah. I just want to make sure. We've had so many shorts here, and our chief engineer basically has been restricted from coming in and doing work. So I, I, I was just hoping it wasn't another malfunction on, on my end, frankly. <laughs> um, no. So, so, I mean, so now El Al says it won't fly at least till the end of August, right? These, the, the, right. This, this goes till the end of The good news is it looks like the labor dispute with Israel's airline is easing up a bit. Would you, would you categorize it that way? I think that it's just the people facing the reality that uh, there's nothing to strike against. And unless El goes through and the government has to come through with a large bailout, I mean, El's future is certainly at risk. I don't believe that they're going to let it fail. It's, it's not because it's too big to fail, but it's too important to fail. And have a national airline is, is really critical. But the, there's, the economics also have to make sense. So we will see, but it's it's uh, the fact that you lose the summer months, that uh, you think of the tourism industry, and while there is a lot of internal tourism and the hotels fold, it's not, they don't pay the same rates, and it's not the same income for restaurants for everyone else. And the um, uh, and the holidays coming up are Shana Sukkot, which do not look likely, according to the experts I spoke to this week, um, would be a, a tremendous blow to them as well. Yeah, and of course the, uh, the well, right, a lot of the entire tourism industry. What did you make of the? Uh, I mean, you've seen this over the decades. I mean, you know, <laughs> it would be fascinating for someone to write a real book about Elal's history. Frankly, I'm not just talking about the, the nice books they put out about the different uh, advances they made over the years. But this whole story, I remember growing up, and certainly, you know, in more recent years, is there's always something going on. There's always something interesting happening, and in in, in, in in this week's case. Uh, you know, backed by somebody in the United States, someone actually tried to put up a bid for the airline. And, you know, you, you always wonder because you and look, you've seen it. You've been on the front lines of this for so many years. You know, you, you've seen what it's like when it's completely controlled by the government. You've seen what it's like when it's somewhat privatized. I don't know what's best for the future of the airline. You have any idea? What's best is anything that would be stable for long term. They've had uh, labor strikes and especially problems with their pilots, which have been very costly. And, you know, you went through a period where flights were unreliable. You know, you didn't know if the plane was going to take off on the time that it was uh, indicated or not. Uh, and that uh, hurts. And you have competition. You have American Airlines flying. You have Turkish Air flies very regularly. You have European Airlines flying. So it's, it's, there's no... Um, you know, you can't get uh, any kind of upper hand in this way when your national airline is, is at a disadvantage. And remember, the, the real money makers for most airlines is the cargo, not right. the passengers. Right. I don't know. It's uh, we'll have to see what happens. You know, every, it seems like every week, but for for good reason. Obviously, we're talking about either restrictions like travel, and, and there was also an announcement this week that we had that you know the the visas that it looked like were all, almost automatically going to be granted to students who are heading to Israel for the year. Now that's on hold again. Those who are in charge and negotiating the deal with the government do think it'll come back in two three weeks when the restrictions in Israel are eased up a bit, hopefully. But you know, all the, it's leaving so many people in limbo 
Uh, I mean, people just don't know what to do and how to plan. Um, and now, again, like I said, we start every week with the LL slash, you know, country restrictions, and things are only getting much more difficult now in terms of restrictions in Israel. Ten people inside for a minion, 19 outside, what they're considering to be somewhat of a real lockdown between now and the end of July. Uh, I'm hoping that this helps. I hope that this really does help stem the tide of, uh, you know, in, in terms of what's happening numbers-wise in Israel. But they, well, Netanyahu admitted that he probably opened too early, wow. and the, you know, the morbidity rate has gone up, not just the infection rate, and this is very dangerous for a small country, and they're learning the lessons also that people here have to learn, and that is, the, and, you, and you know that the many states have now mandatory masks outside mm-hmm. with fines and, and worse if you violate it. And too many, even in our own community, keep saying, you know, well, I'm immune. Yes, you're immune, but it's not protecting you, the mask. The mask protects everyone else. And your immunity doesn't protect you from spreading it. And we know that that if everybody wears them and if everybody abides by the rules, it does have an impact. It's not a cure. And a vaccine is certainly going to be, won't come before the end of the year, be available to everybody, even though they're rushing and Billions of dollars are being spent on on the development of uh, of uh, of a vaccine, but it's not going to happen that quickly. And, and pe- so people, people don't really have to abide by it. People don't realize how shocking, <clears throat> what kind of shocking speed it is for this vaccine. I mean, most vaccines take years, and if it really is developed by the end of this calendar year, that would be unbelievable. You're exactly right. Uh, and and I'm a, and I'm somewhat surprised, frankly. You know, I would hope our people would know better, even if. They have these theories, and everyone, of course, you know, who had a fourth-grade science education is smarter than the doctors uh, in our community. Um, At least, if if it is a state law, a state rule, at least, you know, and it's a reasonable one, it's not something that's unreasonable, at least you think people in our community would, in fact, go along with it and and make sure not to cause any, uh, you know, uh, a type of reaction or comments from other communities or other people because we're not following the rules. I would think that our community would get that. Or endanger other members of yeah. your community or of other communities. Understood. Uh, speaking, of, I mean, do, do your look. You speak to people in Israel every day. Is, is there any legitimacy to the to the Haredi claim that the, that there is a discrimination when it comes to masks and other things by the Israeli government and police? Look, I'm not on the ground. I've I've heard the accusation. Um, we certainly saw it. You know, people here say the same thing, that you've had, you were allowed, certain mass events were allowed for, for mm-hmm. in certain instances, and the same things barred to others. So there is um, judgments that are made and discriminatory practices or perceived discrimination. So it's, um, you know, I, I, don't, I can't answer it, but there are that those accusations, and, and maybe they are rougher in, in the application because they meet more resistance. Yeah, that's true. By the way, do you see the unemployment numbers in Israel? It's shocking that they're bouncing back as quickly as they are. It is true. I mean, that's uh, I, I, whatever formula they have, we should bring that here. Well, remember that before the COVID struck, the unemployment was negligible. So those jobs existed. Now the question is, will they continue to exist? Uh, everybody agrees that the unemployment rate will will be much higher after covid than before uh but hopefully the the growth of the economy etc will 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 rebound and people get back to work and i guess only certain industries are completely 
um, you know, have completely fallen victim, victim to this. Uh, uh, some industries are able to survive and, you know, and, and tread water. Uh, but when it comes to travel and leisure, and we know a lot of people in Israel that are in the travel and leisure, you know, in, industry, frankly. And uh, people here who depend yeah. on the travel and leisure business to Israel. And for many others, I mean, it's, it's um, I get calls every day from people, and some have really dire circumstances and reasons why they want to get there. They always wait till the last day before they uh, do anything about it. But it's, um, you know, we have kids who, who are going uh, for the year, who wanted to go for the year, or who are going as lone soldiers, or many other circumstances. And uh, they're all encountering, you know, complicated uh, processes, et cetera. Yeah, no question about it. All right, we'll, we'll talk more about what's going on on this side of the world in a few minutes. Let's go to the other side of the world for a moment. Uh, is, is this is this a, a wrong perception that now all of a sudden the United Nations is tougher on Iran? No, it's not. It's the, Well, it's the IEA that is being tougher on Iran. They, unfortunately, the Security Council can't be because you have the Russian-Chinese veto, and China just signed a very extensive deal with Iran. Um, they've already made him part of their global Belt and Road Initiative, but they, their goal is to lock in their energy needs. They are the biggest consumer, and they just locked in a, a long-term deal with Iran as part of this, and they are going to be building all the infrastructure inside of Iran and certainly major projects. Um, it's something that uh, Iran may come to, to regret, um, but it's coming within the context of uh, all the explosions and stuff. So the UN, uh, there's two parts. There's one, the extension of the arms embargo, which runs out, I think, October 18 or 19, and that is not likely because of the veto Russia and China, which are both ready to sell weapons, and that means it could range from jets to uh, missiles to everything else under the sun. And then they can, in turn, replenish their their supplies to the Houthis, to the to the Hezbollah, to Hamas. And then you have uh, the IEA, which is Atomic Energy Agency, under its new leader, who has been very aggressive, and you rightly note, and they've been publicly critical uh, because they're not being given access to key locations and because the uh, belief that... Um, there's much more going on, and the, the revelations of the hit on the advanced centrifuge uh, fat facility, which was two-thirds of it knocked out, which means it could set them back a year, a year and a half, two years even, wow. in their production, because the, the, enrich, the enrichment of uranium depends at a speed at which they can do it on the advanced centrifuges. I was laughing because you said key locations, and I was about to say, are there any key locations left? You know, for, the, for, for those... <laughs> well, they, they hit. There was a fire in uh, Boucher at the uh, Navy... Set by uh, who? Who set by who, or was it accidental? Yeah, so the, everything has been accidental, <laughs> and, and as I said, I think I pointed out last week, that to me the fascinating thing was when the Iranians uh, gave out a warning and said, don't don't uh, create narratives, meaning don't take credit for this because otherwise we're going to have to strike. There was an attempt again on the computers that control Israel's water processing yesterday, uh, there, and there's a lot of cyber warfare we believe involved in this. Whether there was direct involvement has not been proven. Uh, whether planes that some people claim were involved were not involved, missiles. Um, you know, people already have Israeli submarines in the Persian Gulf shooting the missiles. Wow. So it's a lot of speculation. 
Um, so those who are following all the explosions, all the bombings, all the fires, I mean, you, you don't anticipate this is going to stop anytime soon. I, I mean, why would it? I mean, the, the, whoever's doing it has been getting away with it now for almost a month. Like, why would they let up at this point? Especially well, if it really does there are delay the whole of targets process. That may be available or that of importance. Second, you don't know the degree to which there are domestic participants. And, you know, there's a lot of unrest in Iran. The economic conditions continue to collapse completely. The 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 real is virtually worthless. I think it's two hundred thirty six thousand to the dollar now, uh, and um, the, the, um, the it doesn't stop their aggressiveness. They just came up with a new plan for the Straits of Hormuz, where they're going to try and seal it off, and they're moving and building new facilities in the south, in the Gulf of Oman, where they will then refine oil, ship oil. Um, as you know, uh, the, about 40% or more of Western oil goes through the Straits, and there have been conflict situations there and in the Gulf of Oman uh, of late, so there could be an escalation that would be uh, untenable to Europeans, to, to even to the Chinese, who ship a lot uh, through there. Um, so that you know, we have many fronts right now going on. They sentenced uh, three people to death who supposedly were involved in uh, activity. Americans have condemned it. The um, uh, you know the arms uh, they, they they have signed an arms deal with Syria and promised to upgrade their air defense system, which really is a means to to consolidate their position there, which with the Russians and the Turks trying to get the other two, each of the other two out, despite the fact that they're part of the Astana process. So Iran, it's a very complicated story. We have many more things. You know, they were going to move to impeach Rouhani, and they just stopped that uh, two days ago. The Majlis, the parliament, stopped that effort, probably from pressure from the supreme leader. But there's a lot of internal unrest, and that could play into all of these situations now. What did I read? Uh, last week I mentioned the thing about the American flag, that you know they were avoiding stepping on it. But I also read something this week about an online campaign against the executions or something? Was that? Was yeah. that? That, that that is true. There is uh, there are petitions and there have been protests against the the executions of these three people. Um, but you know, Iran executes people all the time. It's usually done clandestinely, and so people don't even know what they're doing. Uh, but when they find out, and this, some of it is publicized when it serves their purpose to dissuade others from engaging in any kind of activity of this kind. Um, so there are protests, and, and but there have been demonstrations and other things because people don't have food, people don't have money, right. and they know the IRGC and the and the Supreme Leader and the others are all taking this money away from them. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NachumSegal.com, and the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Support our efforts here, please. Join our campaign to keep us going fjbunity.org fjbunity.org whose economy is worse Lebanon or Iran <laughs> well they are interdependent to a degree in the sense that um, you know money going to Hezbollah is uh, it comes from Russia and Russia has cut back I mean the Iran and Iran has cut back uh, but the Lebanese economy is in free fall. The, the currency also, they are valueless. We see more demonstrations. Um, the the uh, idea that Hezbollah might try to seek a diversion from all the internal opposition to them and the economic conditions by escalating the tensions in Israel. You saw the head of CENTCOM 
General McKenzie, Kenneth McKenzie, uh, warned them against uh, carrying out operations against Israel and saying that I can't see that having a good ending. And he had just toured the, all of the Middle East, uh, many countries, including Lebanon. Uh, there has been pressure to, to continue aid to the Lebanese Air Force and by, by the United States, and yet resistance, because we know that it's all fungible and that um, uh, Hezbollah benefits and takes the stuff. And But we see that Nasrallah has become more and more the target of uh, hostile reactions within the country. Its financial crisis um, has been very great. Uh, I think they used to get $700 million a year from from Iran. Now they've developed alternative, some alternative sources, and mostly usually they resort to criminal activities, drugs, and things like that. That's how he survives? And I don't just mean survive economically. That's how he survives his leadership role? Because he's still able to to, to provide some type of funding? Well, well, funding for his own purposes. Right. He, but he did have to close down much of his infrastructure there. But Iran still uses them in the Houthi, in Yemen. They use them in, in Iraq. They use them in other countries. But that's uh, at their request. But the uh, many of the militias that Iran backs complain about not getting paid. And the, the but the internal crisis. We know that also um, the Alma Group found twenty eight new missile sites inside Beirut meaning that they placed them within the civilian population in Beirut to launch, as we know that they've done in southern Lebanon. But now that they've uncovered at least 28 sites, this is huge news. Um, doesn't get the appropriate coverage, but it shows, number one, their disregard for the civilian population yeah. and their willingness to draw fire onto uh, civilians as they have in the past. Uh, and the fact that they continue to build their missile infrastructure that can be used against Israel, to be used against Israel. Um, and is there any, again, a little bit of a silly question, but I'm just so curious in terms of the rankings and how you would evaluate it, is there any Middle Eastern country that has a worse economic situation and people in the street begging for food more than Lebanon and Iran? Syria. Even worse than that? Syria, 80% unemployment. You have, uh, wow. um, you don't get to see the pictures, but the, and there, you know, there's aid going into all these countries, but there's tremendous poverty there and dislocation of populations. You have the huge refugee camps. You have millions in refugee camps. Um, you know, and Lebanon was, was such a prosperous, beautiful country when I visited there several times, even during a war. You know, you could see the, the beauty of the country and the, um, you know, it was the Riviera of the Middle East for, for wealthy Arabs and others would go there. So what, uh, what, that was Syria what? That was in, what? Like in, it's in bad shape. Yemen is probably the worst shape of everybody. Wow. And there's there were reports about some actions against the, the, the small number of Jews there this week. But we don't have confirmation, and people should just be patient till we get real confirmation. Uh, the Lebanon you just described is pre nineteen eighty or even earlier. Oh, much earlier, even better, but uh, true even past 1980. Um, all right, we got to go back to this side of the world because there's a lot going on. Um, <laughs> there are there's a commissioner of the uh, former commissioner of the NYPD who's telling our Jewish communities you better protect yourselves. Uh, police officers are being injured and attacked, and that's very bad for law-abiding, uh, faith-based uh, communities, as you know, and you've described that, of course. Uh, I don't think any community supports police forces around this country more than we do. Um, uh, there are people who are encouraging us to move out of the USA, 
and be careful about what the future brings here. And then you have this whole issue of uh, Nick Cannon with the traditional anti-Semitic stuff, um, and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with what I would hope would be the traditional, uh, you know, <laughs> friendship with the Jewish community stuff. What do you think of all this? Well, you have a long panoply of issues, and and I did have an opportunity to talk to Ken Cannon to Cannon myself. He reached this week. out and. Um, uh, I don't think he's a traditional anti-Semite at all. I think he, he was ignorant, but nobody has issued, I think, stronger, more complete and repeated apologies and things. And I don't particularly buy into the apology route of uh, that exculpates people. I think it's what they do, their deeds, and uh, how they how they uh, react. But it does tell you how widespread. Uh, amongst intelligent people, some of these the, the lies, the distortions, the misrepresentations, the Farrakhan messages uh, are. So let's start with the police. The fact that Chief Moynihan, uh, a really terrific person and devoted public servant, gets attacked, that they don't feel any kind of restraint. And now the picture's coming out that they were giving out baseball bats out of somebody's trunk. and wow. that that this was, uh, and, and you know that the, they found and charged a person in the attack, and they were released already. They were released right away on the no-bail situation. And if I, if I were the chief of the department, I would be pretty aroused. He had to get stitches. He was, you saw the picture yeah, of blood streaming of down. And that it turns out that one person used a cane against them, and another person, they, they threw stuff at them, and, and maybe these bats, whatever. The, the, this is the deterioration, and there has to be such an absolute policy that you touch a policeman, even if the policeman is wrong, you touch him, you, you assault him. We break down the respect for law and order and the, and the and police officers and to this kind of an extent, then the, then the whole system collapses. So that's one, and uh, I don't know... You know how we we put this genie back in the bottle, but you know you hear from people I heard from that they're just giving up on New York, and that would be a terrible thing because you're only going to reinforce it. That the if the middle class and others leave, then you you just add to the poverty and to the to the disruption of of the society, and the the tax base gets lost. Uh, so that's one. And um, what was the second thing you say? The well, first thing you Ray, Ray Kelly saying. Okay, so Ray Kelly did an extensive study on anti-Semitism uh, on a private basis. Uh, he was hired to do it uh, uh, by the World Jewish Congress, and he, uh, I. He consulted with me a lot on it, uh, and he really did very thorough studies, which has made him a sort of expert in understanding. He traveled to those countries because he was trying to understand what the true status was, the data, what what could be done. And uh, his warning, I think, you have to take seriously that he is telling people, be aware. You know, we, we know that, uh, I don't want to draw analogies to previous periods because each one is different, but we learn lessons from the past that those who didn't take this signs seriously paid a price, and that those who moved uh, earlier uh, were, were saved because of it. I don't think we're at that circumstance now directly, but we see the deterioration. We Jews need a society of law and order. I think all people need societies of a law and order. And the warning that he sounded um, resonated with people because it reflects their concerns. Then I asked you about those who are uh, 
who are suggesting we move out of the United States. Um, I asked you. Uh, by the way, on the Nick Cannon thing, did he ask you to advocate to, for him to get his job back, or he didn't? No, he did not. He didn't request that. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's not what I would do. But I did right. talk to him, and he's going to go visit Israel. He wants to visit all because he he wants to learn. He, he's very intelligent. He's um, but but to but me, they always want to learn after they've talked without thinking. That like that's what that, everyone wants to learn. But yeah, but they also it shows how widespread assumptions are, or or a lot of the propaganda and the. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I can pretty much discern a real anti-Semite. Um, but, but again, I wouldn't give public uh, exculpation stuff. I don't, it depends on the deeds. Words, everybody can, people issue apologies, you know, blithely about everything. And uh, it really matters on the deeds. And he is prepared to do things. And he's a guy who can influence many young people. He has millions and millions of people who follow him, especially young people. And let's see if he's really to use those platforms to, to benefit uh, and, and heal some of the wounds. Yeah, no question about it. But, but again, with the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar thing, it just shows you the potential of working right. with other communities when you the have importance of it. when you have reasonable people at the other side. Even if you disagree about a million things, if you just have the open line of communication and respect... It makes such a difference, and there is no communication or respect anymore. There's so many people in the country who are just, you know, wanton violence and 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 zero respect for authority, uh, attacking churches, which is getting no reaction, by the way. And I'm, I'm and I'm somewhat um, shocked at our Jewish leadership for not standing up for for Catholic churches that are being vandalized and burned. No, that's not what we do. You know what the problem is, Nachum? The media doesn't give a damn. They don't cover it. You know that in France, half of the attacks, half of the racist and bigoted attacks are against Catholic churches, more than against Jews. Fifty-some percent, 52 percent, then come Jews and Muslims. We got, we got to react to that. We have and to we react. do. And the Jewish community does. But, no, but the media doesn't cover when I have talked out so many times about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East and in Brazil. Yeah, that's true, right? That's and true. Nobody, and I've done it on this show. Right. So how many times for how many years? And But it... You know, you don't get resonance out there, and you don't see Christians taking to the streets to demonstrate. And we encourage them. We say, we'll help you. If we do it, then they'll say, oh, you see, it's a Zionist plot But right. when it's in the Middle East. But here, we see that Christians are, are, are targeted. Um, everybody, every group today is is a valid target. You know, uh, the point that <laughs> we, we, the, those of us who've sat in Jewish history classes with some interesting professors have heard over and over, and and it just reminded me of it. No, no one, and including those professors, are minimizing the direct attack on the Jews that Kristallnacht and obviously the Nazi effort against the Jews were. But one of the reasons that they were so focused on synagogues was they they wanted to make sure that there was no greater authority. They wanted to make sure to minimize you know those who felt that there's someone greater than they are. And it seems like the same thing's happening today. That you know so many religious institutions are being attacked, especially in the Catholic community. And, and I think it's really you know an effort, whether it's uh, you know, purposeful or not, that sometimes it's subliminal. They don't realize what they're doing. These attackers to just you know destroy all authority. That there can't be you know a God Almighty who really you know rules over us. It's we. It's we who are the real rulers. It's we who will determine policy going forward. And, but there's more. I think synagogues, churches, cemeteries uh, are number one easy targets because they're defenseless. Second, they are symbols of, of religious authority, but of the people. Right. And you attack these symbols to attack the people. It's also a symbol of community, right? It's a symbol of the community. Of community exactly. right. 
Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's just a, it's a, I don't know, looking for some common sense out there. The Democratic platform, by the way, according to the Jerusalem Post article, I'm sure you saw it, uh, th- those who've been leaking information, it does seem that the real anti-Israel stuff, the centrist still won over, still defeated the progressives and kept the real anti-Israel stuff out of the upcoming Democratic platform. Well, the battle isn't over yet, but it is true and should be recognized that there were efforts to try and introduce certain words and make changes from the platform from last time. Um, it does it does criticize annexation. It does criticize some things, but on balance, it's a very positive. It's more, much more positive than whatever anybody had expected. And uh, obviously, uh, as far as Biden weighed in and other people weighed in on it, because you have forces there who will still try. This is not over yet. It still has to go to full platform committee. They, some of the Sanders people, others have talked about re- you know, inserting things about occupation, etc. Uh, but I hope that the overwhelming preponderance of the Democratic Party will be on the right side of this issue. Yeah, it looks like the occupation was a big debate and the aid, the, what their approach should be to financial aid for about Israel. conditioning aid. Right. right. So those two things did not occur. Or other things, but it's it's on balance really a positive statement. You think COVID's going to postpone the uh, Netanyahu trial again, or it's going to go on next week, or what do you think? It's hard to know because of the the rise. I think uh, there might be a shutdown, a complete shutdown Sunday, or in large parts of the country. Uh, it's really necessary uh, to get mm-hmm. to regain control because it is, as we talked before, the right. statistics to spread, um, but. Eventually, the trial will take place. Why is uh, why is Bennett all of a sudden the media darling? Just because he's bashing Netanyahu? Like, is that all he has to do to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that that, that is true. <laughs> That's the strategy, and, and his numbers and polls are going up. Wow! Uh, somebody can hardly get elected. That in, uh, I didn't realize. It's uh, strange. It's- it's translating it to political success, huh? <laughs> well, you know, when you're outside and you can criticize, it's very easy to criticize mm-hmm. when you have to implement policy, and it's true here, it's true everywhere, it's a lot harder. Uh, you know, the nine days start Tuesday night, Malcolm. And, I heard. And this is the important time of year. Every day, obviously, we need to talk about Jewish unity and love of one of another. Every day. But it's like Mother's Day. You know, it's Mother's Day every day of the year, but there's one day we focus on it. The nine days is really a time we focus on this topic. And boy, do we need to be unified now. And I would hope that, and, and by the way, unified and at the same time also unified with those from other religions and faiths that we can be helpful to at a time like this. And I hope that people use this opportunity to focus on that over the next few days, uh, that we really, you know, those, those who are uh, in the support Israel community, those who are in the uh, uh, the greater Jewish community who are concerned about the future of the Jewish people in this country, have really got to get our act together. And remember the reasons why we have Tisha B'Av, and that uh, the destruction of the second base Hamikdash because of Sinat Chinam, the, the, the lessons that we have to learn from all of the periods, and to think about how much the divisions in our community kept us from having a third base on English, and how much of it has deflected from from the Jews having better situations by virtue of the internal conflicts over the millennia. So we have to learn the lessons. It's not just a, a rote thing on the calendar. There are really important lessons to be learned from the from the nine days and certainly from Tisha B'Av. You see some of the people that Bernie Sanders is uh, endorsing for uh, for Senate and House seats? I mean, I've seen some, yes. This guy is all in. He has just completely doubled down on on every 
quote-unquote progressive, but a lot of them people who have question, questionable or really negative records regarding Israel, and frankly, I would say regarding regarding many things for the U.S. as well. Absolutely. But, and, you know, the people, the fact that people can publicly continue to call for defunding police uh, after they've seen what's happened in uh, New York with the shootings, and, uh, uh, I mean, when we, this is a policy position, it just, it's insane. And it's gone national. And the truth is, it's gone international. It's really gone international yeah. at this mm-hmm. point. We talk about technology and an era so different from decades ago where something in an instant can go international. Look what's happened. Not, not only has COVID gone international, <laughs> but that, I guess, was more up to the one above. But, but actual, actually, a policy like this is now something that's uh, either quoted, rallied for, or demanded around the entire world, which is unbelievable. And there's so much happening that hardly anybody pays attention to and you know the prime minister of tunisia resigns and it could lead back to you know islamist parties coming something that would have certainly made made news the fact that turkey establishes itself in in iraq and and the iraqis are building a basis against them and that you have uh, you know the seizures uh, that are taking place of uh, the ships from iran going to venezuela and the conditions in venezuela and other countries in south america you know, these are all things that would have made headlines and we would have been discussing um, in, in this time. It's such a complicated period, so people really have to stay on top of the news, really have to follow what's going on, what they make decisions uh, for themselves about um, about the future, their future. They should do it based on knowledge and understanding of what's happening and to make their voices heard. And when ben, Chris Van Hollen is introducing a resolution against uh, to condition aid, make sure your voices are heard. Contact your congressman or other congress members and just say this is unacceptable. There are, you know, a dozen people now backing it, and it won't pass. But but the, once you establish this precedent, the, the idea that you can condition aid, um, something that that President Trump and Vice President Biden both have rejected. But still, it, there is a, it has a resonance. And just because you're convinced that your representative is not going to be swayed by your point of view is not an excuse not to call his or her office. Because you, right. you never know when, it's gonna, when, when this type of thing is going to come back again or this, uh, you know, where they'll remember, uh, where the representative will remember, you know what, we got a negative reaction from the community on this, and I'm sort of like on the fence, I'm going to go the other way. You, have ne- you never, ever know. And, that's why when people say, what can I do, what can I do, and then they you know, think of excuses not to do the simple thing like picking up the phone and calling the office, it's ridiculous. You gotta, uh, and they've all registered by now, I hope. It's, it's not point. too late to register, I that's think, for, for November. Um, and I wish more and more of the younger people out there in our community would register because now it's obvious the way things are going that uh, the, the, the youth vote in this country is being, is being sought after and is going to be even more significant than ever before, and we need uh, members of the youth vote who, you know, who have the I- Israel's and the Jewish community's best interests at heart uh, to get involved and to and make sure to vote. So please convince your kids when they turn eighteen, everybody, convince your grandchildren when they turn eighteen, and teachers and um, rabbis and communities, get them all to understand the importance of registering and voting. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Have a great Shabbos, everybody. Be upbeat, be strong, be yeah. careful, yeah. and abide by the rules. Amen to that. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM.